Luke 12. I want you to look again at this morning at two words in this text, which carry, by the way, a whole lot more meaning, a whole lot more weight than we might initially understand. Verse 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you, whatever anybody else ever told you and what you told yourself, I tell you nay or no, but rather division. Now, folks, I want you to notice the first two words of our Lord's declaration. He begins by saying, suppose ye. And, of course, the supposition that he's about to destroy is what everybody supposes. In fact, everybody's saying these just three weeks ago that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to this world to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Verse 51, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell ye nay, but rather division. Now, wait a minute, what? Jesus is a divider, not a uniter. He'll never win a presidential election. That's not all. He then uses the same two words regarding another very popular and common supposition. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at that season at the same time some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate killed a bunch of people while they were giving sacrifices in the temple. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? Well, there's another misconception, which is that people who suffer and people who endure loss are somehow worse than those who don't suffer. It's their fault. In fact, suppose ye are the two words our Lord would have spoken to Job's friends. And beloved, before we even get into all of the suppositions and the actual misconceptions, speculation, presumption that people have, Before we consider what people think in their minds, I want us to understand, first of all, the weight and the ramifications of just the two words themselves. Put it this way. If our Lord walked through those doors this morning, came up here, stood behind this pulpit, looked over our congregation and said, suppose ye, just those words, you know that already it's an indictment. That already it is a correction, it's an admonition from the Lord of the universe. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses the exact same Greek word for suppose ye, but it's translated as think not. There he says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Matthew 5, 17, think not. Same word, suppose ye that I am come to destroy the law. By the way, that's a supposition that people still believe about Jesus, that when he came, he destroyed the law. The point is this. Thinking wrongly, suppositions are very dangerous, very destructive, and very serious things. Which is precisely why the Lord Jesus gives to his own both the reason and the remedy for this faulty and this foolish thinking. And I'm telling you, beloved, it is such a powerful, helpful reminder in this world in which we're living that's so crazy and mixed up. So I hope you listen very carefully this morning. I want to speak on that subject, suppose ye. Father, please help us today to hear your word. Please, God, help cast out all distractions 
Nobody is here by accident today for this time, this message, this text. Help all distractions be cast out, any sin between us and thee, Lord, so that we can hear what the Spirit saith to the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things you'll notice in our text today is that the two words, suppose ye, are followed by the word that. Verse 51, suppose ye that. I am come. Chapter 13, verse 2, suppose ye that, these Galileans. In the other Gospels, he says the same Greek word, think ye that. In other words, it's not just that they were supposing, and it's not just that they were thinking. It's really what they supposed. It is what they were thinking in their minds that was so entirely wrong and so entirely wayward. And i got to tell you the amazing thing with all of these instances. Where the thinking of the people was wrong in each and every case, it's exact same false thinking so prevalent in the world in which we're living today. So that right now the Lord would say to us in this room, suppose ye. He would say to the world's religious bodies and institutions, suppose ye that this is the truth or that is the truth. He would say to the United Nations, suppose ye that I am come to send peace? Is that what you're thinking or is that what you thought? You say, wait a minute, Pastor. Everybody thinks that. I think that. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Shalom is the most repeated word in all the human language. Shalom or salam. Everybody carries the supposition that Jesus came to give peace on earth. Okay, that's everybody except Jesus. Because he said, I say unto you, is that what you thought? Is that what you're thinking? Which brings us this morning to three truths I want us to consider from the heart of our Lord's declaration. The first one you'll notice, number one, is the truth about limitation. And specifically, the limitation of our own carnal minds. In fact, I want you to notice again the exact people to whom our Lord is speaking concerning this. In the first verse of the chapter, it begins, you'll notice the last part of verse 1 of chapter 12, he began to say unto his disciples. Verse 22, and he, Jesus, said unto his disciples. Going all the way down to verse 41, Peter said to him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful, wise steward whom his Lord make ruler over? In other words, look, it was the disciples It was his followers who were told not to think in a certain way, and not just the disciples of Jesus, but those who considered themselves sons of Abraham. It was the Jews. When John the Baptist addressed the Sanhedrin, in Matthew chapter 3, he used the exact same Greek word and said, Suppose ye that ye have Abraham as your father? John said, Is that what you think? Is that what you think as Sadducees and Pharisees? So that again, we're not talking here merely about pagans and idolaters and tribal cannibals. We're not talking about unlearned men. These were really the most educated and the most refined people on earth. They were unquestionably, the one John was addressing, unquestionably the most religiously enlightened people on earth. So that look, you get the point. It's not as if it's the ignorant unlearned, uneducated, unenlightened people in the world whose thinking is wrong, whose thinking is messed up. 
It's not just those people who aren't that smart. It's us people. All of us people. In other words, please hear this. I am not, as your pastor, as smart as two or three of you think I am. Well, pastor, I don't think you're that smart. Okay, that's fine, but let me add another way. You're not as smart as you think you are. In fact, the truth is, you're not nearly as smart as you think that you are. Nobody is. And you know, that's why the theme in Scripture, basically, is that the smarter people tend to see themselves, the more wrong their thinking tends to be. In Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord of glory looked out at a people who had become very, very confident, very self-reliant in their knowledge and their thought process. And here's what he said. You'll see it on the screen. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, folks, it's not a matter if your thoughts or if your wisdom or your opinions are better than someone else's. It doesn't matter if your mind is better than my mind or your neighbor's mind or the village idiot's mind. That doesn't matter. Because that doesn't do you a bit of good if you're still wrong. If you're wrong on something that is critical and vital, what matters are his thoughts, his ways, all of which are so much higher than ours that we don't have a chance of being right about anything within ourselves. We are limited by our very nature. And I don't know about you this morning, but I, for one, have no problem owning up to all of that. I look in the mirror and I don't say, oh, wow, I see a guy who's educated and smart. Not at all. A few days ago, I was in a cafe. A couple men walked in who I knew, one I knew well. The other one only because he beat me once in a South Florida PGA golf event years ago. And I thought he'd forgotten about it. But when he saw me, he had this little condescending grin. <laughs> and I remember it very well because the tournament was at Lost Tree Golf Club. We were going to the last couple of holes. I was either tied for the lead or maybe leading by one. And I just hit my, my approach shot in the bunker on the left side of the green. And, and I thought, that's no big deal. I'll just knock it on the green, get a par at the worst, a bogey. And then I'll just win on the 18th. The only thing is, when I walked up to the green, to the bunker itself, I put my, with my sand wedge and my putter, I lay the putter down on the far low side of the green. I go down in the bunker, take my shot, hit it pretty close to where I wanted, and it starts rolling right towards the hole, and then it just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling towards my putter at the edge of the green. And I know it's a two-shot penalty if it touches my putter. So I'm trying to run out of this deep bunker, and my feet can't get traction, and I fall on my face. Half of it's covered with sand. I breathe it up my nose. And, of course, it taps my putter. And I look up at the guys from my knees in the bunker. Two of them were horrified. The third guy, the one I saw in the cafe the other day, was laughing. <laughs> Actually, he had this smile on his face that I wanted to wipe off with my driver, if I could have. <laughs> Same smirk nine years later at the cafe this week. 
I remember that afternoon, Louise said, did you know you have sand in your ears? <laughs> I said, I know, I'm a dork. It's like the time at VBS. I went up and asked one of our ladies when her baby was due two weeks after the baby was born. <laughs> I'm a dork. And of course they left and joined another church. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with someone, and I, I kind of panicked. I said, oh, no, I think I left my phone in the office. And they said, oh, man, because they know i got to have my phone. And they said, well, what are you calling from? And I went, oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I have zero problem owning up to my severe limitations. But I also know yours. And I also recognize that the whole world is limited in their so-called wisdom. You know, it's interesting about Hollywood. I read a couple articles this week about the Golden Globes. And it's funny how they love to tell you how to think, how to live, what to believe, what is real, what is important and what is right, what is wrong, what's good, what's bad. They love to, to lecture on that and to tell you every chance they get. I'm convinced that's why they like award shows. Never mind, they cannot raise children who aren't suicidal, psychotic, or addicted. Never mind, they, they crave endless plastic surgeries costing thousands and thousands, even millions of dollars. Some of them, when they die, should donate their body to Tupperware. <laughs> right? I mean, never mind, they can't stay married to their 15th spouse. And they spend tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on therapy every year. These are the very same people who want to tell you and then force you to dress your three-year-old boy as a girl. And I say to all of that as a reminder that nobody, nobody who's an elitist, nobody who's a hillbilly in West Virginia, no Stanford or MIT professor, no billionaire investor, no Silicon Valley venture capitalist, nobody has any true light or wisdom outside of God's word, and that includes us. When I saw that Sam Altman was asked to come back and run OpenAI again, and how people were so happy about it, you know, all I remember was that it was he and, and his buddies at Stanford who came up with the whole idea of the simulation theory. That theory basically says that humans, you and I, we are characters in someone else's computer simulation. They recognize that there's too much intelligent design, but instead of just reading and believing the Bible, no, it's somebody else, higher intelligent, that may, we're part of it, we're just trapped in a higher intelligence video game. And literally, maybe AI can help us break free and break out of this. Now, that was a few years ago, maybe they've moved on from that theory. But Sam Alt Altman and his husband are convinced that you believe fairy tales. I say again, nobody is nearly as smart as they think they are, including us. And that's because everybody without God is limited. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. You don't even start on the path of wisdom if you don't have the fear of the Lord. And this is the reason why our Lord and John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit was telling the most enlightened people of that day, suppose ye, do you really think this? It was to the world's deepest thinkers, standing at Mars Hill, 
the Parthenon. It was to those people that Paul said, the times of this ignorance, not enlightenment, ignorance God winked at. It was to the world's mental aristocracy that Jesus said, you're blind guides leading the blind until they both fall into the ditch. So yes, the Lord telling good and enlightened people, suppose ye, is a lesson of limitation. It ought to be a reminder to all of us here today that all of us in this room desperately need the wisdom of God. That all of us must never be wise in our own eyes and lean unto our own understanding. Which brings us to the second lesson in the text. Number one is limitation. Number two is sort of the remedy, and that's revelation. Look again at chapter 12, and notice how the words suppose ye are sandwiched between these two narratives. Verse 16. Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying. Now, wait a minute, can I ask you a question? What is a man who sinks his own wisdom? And he thought within himself. He's smart, he's rich, he knows what he's doing. He thought within himself, verse 18, and he said, This will I do. This is what I'm going to do because this is what I thought I was going to do within myself. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, he even talks to himself because he's the smartest man in the room. Who else would he talk to? Verse 21, but God said unto him, thou fool. That's the first narrative. Later, Jesus says, suppose ye, and then after that, he says this. Look at verse 54. And Jesus said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west straightway, immediately you say, there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Yea, look at this verse, yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? Now, you know what this is called, these two things that are in the sandwich? It's called rumination. It's thinking within yourself. The whole simulation theory was invented with a bunch of guys who were smoking weed in a hot tub. They were ruminating. And that's what they came up with. So here's the question. If we're limited, if we're in this little sort of box and fallen and darkened as the scripture describes us, then how do we know what's true? What do we do? What's the answer to that? If the world says that the answer is imagination, and which they do, rumination and imagination, and by the way, use drugs if necessary. Ayahuasca is the latest popular one to expand your mind. But you know, imagination? Hitler had imagination. Kim Jong-un has an amazing imagination. That cosmic video game idea was born out of imagination. The world would say imagination and rumination, but what Jesus is saying and what the God of creation has always prescribed is one thing, revelation. You have to receive the truth from somewhere else. It has to come from outside of us. Chapter 12, look at verse 12. Jesus said, for the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think that the geniuses at the Carnegie Institute or the Brookings Institution or Third Way or CFR or Cato, do you think that the Golden Globes knows anything about the Holy Spirit of God? And especially, note this, about the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. Have you ever noticed how elites always, whether it's Broadway or Hollywood or television or politics, how they always portray Scripture and divine truth? Because when they do, it's so weird. It's so foreign and it's so wrong. It's like, and the good book says, do unto others and shall we gather at the river and brethren and sistern and hear ye the reverend and be blessed. It's just, it's like country music uses the same words like truck and beer and river and dirt and hey girl and blue jeans and baby and so forth. That's how the lost people look at truth. But for those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, you know the only hope we have in our limitation is to humble ourselves and receive God's divine revelation. That's it. This book. And, you know, you can just look around the world today. Matter of fact, you can look around the world throughout all of human history, and you can see in the pages of human history where God's revelation is received, there is light. And where his revelation is rejected, there's nothing but darkness. These groups of people in the world who believe in honor killings and mutilating women and marring little children and marrying little girls and throwing acid in some dear lady's face, it's not just a clash of civilizations. It is a clash between darkness and light. All you have to do is look at the current leaders, the thinkers today in our major cities and universities. And you will see clearly, beloved, that American, America doesn't need more imagination, but it desperately needs more revelation. Think about this. If it were true that our entire existence was just a creation of some advanced alien programmer, that you and I are just pixels, and there are very smart people who literally believe that, if that were true, you'd realize that it absolves us, all of us, from any responsibility or accountability. That there's therefore no right and there's no wrong. So that you see, folks, without revelation, people are not enlightened. They are blind and dangerous and foolish and destructive in the very way, in the exact same way that Darwin and Karl Marx and Huxley and Nietzsche were all dangerous as well. The answer to limitation is revelation. The answer is this book, the Word of God. The powers of empire, empires banned and burned. By pagan pride rejected, spurned. The Word still stands, the Christians trust, while haughty empires lie in dust. Abiding steadfast, firm and sure, the teachings of the Word endure. Bless he who trusts the steadfast Word and his anchor holds in Christ, his Lord. Or put another way, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E.
I prayed with one of our dear men who had endured a searing loss. And you know, beloved, I noticed, as I've noticed for decades now, his heart was heavy. But I tell you, his faith was strong. And it wasn't strong because he has a good imagination or because he clung to some man-made thinking of sophistry. It was strong because how firm a foundation, ye saints, of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. You want faith this morning, and you need it. I need it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want wisdom and joy and boldness? You want to conquer your fears? Millions, even billions of people have done so. And they have done so through the miracle of God's truth, God's revelation. Which brings us to the third and the final reminder in the text. We said, number one, suppose ye... It's a reminder, lesson number one of limitation, number two, revelation, and number three, of course, you'll notice, suppose ye also gives us a lesson of salvation. Go back to verse 51 with me, would you? Jesus said these words, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. Really? You know, it's interesting to me that and kind of ridiculous, how skeptics often point to these words of our Lord Jesus, and especially the parallel verse, as proof that Jesus promoted violence, because it's the sword after all, Jesus said, I came to bring. I came not to send peace, but a sword. It's true. But it's not a physical, material sword, and we know that because of the verses that follow. The Lord is talking about a spiritual sword. It says in our text, you'll look at it again, suppose ye that I'm come to send peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. Division doesn't sound like violence. It's not violence on Christ's side. You see, folks, the division that is caused by this sword is the result of one thing, salvation. And every single person in this room who has ever experienced salvation, the new birth in Jesus Christ, can testify to precisely what Jesus means in verse 53. When he says that the sword sets at variance, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and so forth. Verse 51, 2, and 3. Why? Because salvation is real. Because, folks, the new birth has a way of shaking up the old birth. Because in this world, you come out and tell society that you're having yet another abortion, and they'll celebrate it. Tell them that you self-identify as a Navajo or a cat or some alien algorithm. Tell them that you've embraced Buddhism, Islam, Dalai Lama. They'll clap for you. They might even give you an award. But tell them that you've come to Christ. And by faith in Jesus, you're born again. There is no celebration. There is no unity with the world when a sinner gets saved. But there is division. Jesus said there is division. There is a sword. And again, the difference is that salvation, under, un, unlike all that other stuff, salvation is real. Our Lord did not come to send peace on earth, but He has come, as Romans 5 teaches, so that we can make peace with God. That's why He's come. So that there can be peace in your heart. 
The Prince of Peace doesn't bring today a global universal salvation. That's yet to come. He brings an individual personal salvation. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Blair, like I'm a good person. I'm, I'm a sixth generation elder in the Lutheran church. I'm a longtime laborer in the Knights of Columbus, or I'm a pillar in my community. You know what the scripture says? Suppose ye. Suppose ye that ye say to yourselves, we are the children of Abraham. Suppose ye that your heritage or your religion or your deeds or your status has anything to do with eternal life and becoming a child of the living God. No. Jesus says, I tell you, nay. Think instead of the words of our Lord who said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. There is a lesson of salvation. It is a lesson that many of in this room need to take to heart today. Are you saved by the grace of God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins? Christian in this room, can we at this place, at this church, thousands and thousands and thousands of like-minded churches all over this world, just like it, can we recognize that we're not nearly as smart as we think we are? And thus recognize that we need his word every day. Recognize that we need his church, that we need his people, his spirit, his truth, his wisdom. And never be like the fool who says, I will say to myself. I will think to myself. And I will say, self, here's what you're going to do. Never do that. But humble ourselves on the mighty hand of God. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. I mentioned earlier in the service, in fact, in the prayer, that we're all here for a reason. None of us here by accident. And I think that right now, at this very moment, there are some of you here that the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something, and you know it's you. Would to God it would be all of us. But if you are here today, and you might say, Pastor Blalock, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. But I needed this reminder today. Look, folks, if you unmoor yourself from the anchor of God's word as a Christian, if you go off on your own and listen and embrace philosophies and read books, listen to podcasts, whatever you do, that are contrary to the words of God, you will be adrift at sea. And what will result is destruction. It's dangerous. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today. I'm saved. I'm a child of the living God, but I needed this reminder. Some reminder today the Lord has spoken to my heart about. I'm saved, but I needed the message. Who would say that with heads bowed and eyes closed through the building? And God bless you, and I raise mine. It's too easy. In this dark world, it's too easy to let Satan pull us away from the truth of God's word. So be diligent, the Bible says. Walk circumspectly, the Bible says. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. To the word and to the testimony, the Bible says. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. 
may be here today and, and you're the one or the two or the five or 50 who would say, Pastor, I, I don't know that I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't even know I'd be in heaven because I don't know my name's in heaven. I don't know my sins are forgiven. Maybe you've trusted in yourself, your own ideas. Suppose ye, you've supposed this and supposed that, and you came up with it because you kind of took a little of this and a little of that, but it's still from within yourself. Hear and heed the word of God. And the words of our Lord Jesus who said, you must be born again. No man comes unto the Father but by Christ. Those are his words. Pastor, I'm not saved or I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I won't come and embarrass you. And if you're at home right now listening, you can do the same. You say, Pastor Blaylock, I don't know that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? With heads bowed, eyes closed. Would anybody raise your hand and just say, yes, that's me. God bless you, sir. Someone else? Just raise it up till I see it. Anyone else? All right. God bless you, young man. Amen. And you? Praise the Lord. God sees your hand and he sees your heart. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about getting saved, that is a gift. It is a gift of God's grace. And you respond to that gift by accepting Jesus this morning. We're going to pray in a moment, have a time of invitation as we always do here. And if God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll heed it. Listen to his voice, won't you? Brother Andy will be here at the front. Folks will be ready. I'll be ready to speak with you if you would like and pray with you and show you scriptures. Maybe just kneeling at the altar. Maybe it's public. Join the church or for baptism. Whatever it is, if the Holy Spirit speaking to you, obey his voice, won't you? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your goodness and your mercies that are new every day. I pray, Father, for the believers in this room, so many of them scores who raise their hand and said, pray for me. And I raise my hand and I ask you, God, please, in this dark, drifting world, help us to know that you have given us light. You have sent the light. You are the light. And help us to walk in it. For those who raised their hand and said, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, for their honesty. And I pray, God, you'll continue speaking to them through the remainder of this invitation. May they come to Jesus Christ, your son, for salvation. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.